Are you ready? Ready to release internal pain? To find confidence, clarity, and direction for your future? To live a life of meaning, fulfillment, and contribution? To trust your intuition again, but something's been holding you back? You've come to the right place. Welcome. I'm Ian Hawkins, the host and founder of the Grief Code podcast. Together, let's heal your unresolved or unknown grief by unlocking your grief code. As you tune in to each episode, you will receive insight into your own grief, how to eliminate it and what to do next. Before we start, I have one request. If any new insights or awareness land with you during this episode, please send me an email at info at ianhawkinscoaching.com and let me know what you found. I know the power of this work and I love to hear the impact these conversations have. Okay, let's get into it. Afternoon, everyone. My great pleasure to introduce a very good friend of mine. It's funny how we were talking just uh, yesterday, was it, Sarah? How long it had been since we'd actually spoken, which is a little bit embarrassing. But um, great to have you on today and um, excited to hear more about your journey because as I found out, there's a whole lot of stuff that you've been doing I didn't know about. I know. Well, thank you so much for having me on. It's, it's really lovely to be part of this series. I've been watching it. And um, I was thrilled that you asked me to jump on. So it's absolutely great. And I'm, and I'm actually joined here by a uh, Cocker Spaniel called Joe. So I'm here in my rehearsal space with Joe Cocker. Nice. <laughs> <laughs> oh, I bet you tell everyone that too. Yeah, yeah pretty much. Gets a laugh every time. Fantastic. <laughs> Jarvis Cocker or Joe Cocker. So he's Joey. Yeah. Joey, I love it. You yeah. can leave your hat on, Joey. Yeah. So um, where do we start? So let's start with uh, what I thought we were going to be talking about mostly, which is music. So yeah. you've always been a extremely talented musician and singer, and like you just oh. pointed out to me as we spoke about before, being a great singer doesn't always make you a great artist. So tell me how it is that you've been able to really transform yourself into an artist over your musical journey. Oh, thanks for that question. I think that's a that's a good one. And I it it that little saying does parallel my career because I think early on I, you know, I could sing a tune or two, that's all right. And so I sung other people's tunes the way that other people sang them. Um, so I studied classical singing at uni and that's very much um, follow the notes that are on the page and, and do not waver. Yeah. And then nearly 20 years now of singing as a, as a jazz singer, um, you know, the, the great jazz singers, you know, Nina Simone and Ella Fitzgerald and Sinatra, all those singers, they have such a... Um, a form of expression that's so well known. So when you are playing with a band and there's an audience, you, you know, when you're when you're um, a less experienced singer, you assume that people want to hear it the way that they know it. Um, so I think I spent a long time just not being an artist myself, just almost being an impersonator. Perhaps you could say that. Yeah. You're right. And only a couple of years ago, I. I asked myself, well, what do you want to say as an artist? And and your for, your format is singing, but what do you want to say? And that's when I started writing my own music. 
which came out not like country, um, not like uh, jazz. It came out as country, which was really interesting. Yeah. And I think that's when, you know, after so many years, I think that's when I've started to become an artist because I've got something to say and I'm just working on my own sound and form of expression and it's really inspiring. It's really motivating. So I'll just keep doing it. Yeah. Yeah, I love that so much. I also have to mention that uh, Lisa chimed in saying hi, hi Sarah, Ian and Joe Cocker. Thanks, Lisa. That's gold. Um, yeah, so I think that's probably true for a lot of coaches as well and and you being a coach as well, which I found out just recently. We'll talk more about that later. Okay. I think it's been the same journey and I think a lot of other people in that space would have gone on that same journey. You spend a lot of time it's what in the coaching world, imposter syndrome, where you don't actually feel like you're well-credentialed enough to be telling the world anything about what you do as an artist. So you use other people's quotes and you tell everyone all this information from other people. But what people really want is, as you said, with experience, is they want to hear your personal sound message expression which again we'll talk about a bit more later on yeah and so i love that you really fell into that space so what do you think of, of going through that journey to find that you needed to express yourself and be an artist what did you learn about yourself through all of that ah well i a lot i learned a lot massive learning curve and um i think one thing i learned about myself was that i was comfortable not with Joe. <laughs> He's a bit frisky, Joe. Okay. Um, he just wants to be as close to me as possible. So there we go. Um, <laughs> I was actually comfortable not not having all the answers, like not knowing how should I write a song, and I can't play all the instruments. Um, I don't know if my words are inspiring enough, or so. I, I that was a big learning curve, and I was happy with that because I thought, well. If I'm an inexperienced songwriter, that's just where I'm up to. And I, it's better that I'm honest about that and not pretend I've got more skill than I do. Uh, and that's why I reached out to a songwriting team, which was just the best move ever. And, and I think I, I surrounded myself with people who are way better than me and that was a good idea. Yeah. 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 And they helped me get my message out in, in a way that, I had it in my head um, and they sort of dra dragged it out, which was tricky, um, and, you, you know, put it into a form that I was looking for but didn't know quite how to do. So that was a huge learning curve. And yeah. I was glad I, I did that. Yeah. yeah. I love that so much because, again, it, it very much mirrors the coaching journey, the same sort of thing. You surround yourself, even personal development, it's one of the first things you learn is that you you surround yourself with people who are positive, uh, they've, they've done what you want to do and they're able to bring that out of you. So I love I love that share. Lisa's chimed in again. Yeah, exactly, Lisa. Never worked with kids or animals. <laughs> He's just not behaving there, you know. <laughs> Sorry, sorry. <laughs> no, all good, all good. I'm like I mentioned before. I won't be surprised if my dog's scratching at the door too. Now that everyone's gone back to their places of work and school holidays, kids roaming around wherever they are, that um, he's feeling a little bit uh, what's the word unsettled. Aww. So we may see him at some point in this chat as well. Good, yeah, cool. 
go on, let's name drop. Who, who's the most impressive person that you've co-created with? Oh, um, I, I think equal. They're all equal. Equal impressive. Yeah. Um, yeah, yeah. Equal impressive for their skills. I work with a lyricist, um, Teresa Marie Allen, and she's been writing her whole life and never thought of herself as a writer or a lyricist until we had a chat and we actually met on a ship bound for Antarctica. Um, One thing led to another and now we're songwriting partners and she is just a sublime writer. She's got a beautiful turn of phrase. So part of our process is I talk to her and I talk about what do I want to say and what what's the idea, what's the story, and then she puts it into words. So she's so impressive. Um, Phil Stack is my other main co-writing partner and producer and bass player and all-round beautiful friend. Um, and he plays, he's, he's a jazz monster in the scene, and he also plays with Thirsty Merc, which I'm sure you would, you'd have heard of. They're pretty wonderful. Yeah, yeah. So same thing with Phil, you know, I I he's he's an incredible musician and has such great ideas. And when I was putting the first EP together, um I played him the songs that I had in my head. And it was just, you know, literally me singing into the iPhone. Yeah. And when I played them to him, he was in his studio and he just jumped on his bass and he was like, we could do this and then you could have this sort of keys line and then you could have this guitar line and drum riff could sort of go like that and he was hopping around the room. Wow. Going from instrument and I was just watching this and I was like, right. And and so I, I, I plucked up the courage there and then to say, would you produce this for me? Do you want to co-write and produce? And he's like, yeah, sure, Sam, we can do that. I'm like. Okay, that's lucky. <laughs> lucky I asked. <laughs> but, yeah, so that's, I mean, he's so impressive. Yeah. And a, oh, uh, yeah. Lucky man. Yeah, lucky. Yeah, absolutely. Or or you could say not lucky because when you when you keep showing up and keep doing the work, then you seem to get luckier, right? So that's really cool. Um, yeah. I, you, probably, you probably would have seen uh, Ray Disselweight doing a whole lot of live stuff when uh, we first went into lockdown, and it was like, oh man, he is—he's unbelievable too, right? We went and saw them uh, in January, Kate and I, and uh, still, mate, uh, still unbelievable. Yeah, did you go to the uh, Red Hot Summer tour? Um, I might—I don't know. We were in Port Macquarie, and they just happened to be playing at the pub on the Saturday night or whatever it was, Thursday night, and we're like, oh, how good is this? So small venue, like where you know, it was oh, so good. Um, That's. I loved how you described that that writing process because I wanted to ask more about that. I I've dabbled with a little bit of you know writing verse or poetry or music or however you want to put it. And I was having a conversation with my sister because she's a you know she's a songwriter and a musician and a singer as well. And yeah, she was describing to me how when she hears certain music that needs lyrics added to it, it's like the music's telling you what words need to go there. It it's like it's almost like they're just jumping out and it's just so obvious to someone who's obviously skilled in that area. But I think that's part of the gift, right? Yeah, I think um, it is. It is. Lots of people come at it differently. So like your sister, if she hears 
um, a line of music and she knows the words already, that's one way of of doing it. Um, other people do it in reverse. They hear the they hear the like they they know the words and they have a vibe, and then they just got to find the melody. Um, Phil is interesting um, when he creates um, a, a vocal line. He often just sings it, sings through it on a vowel sound, um, and then you find the words around that based on you know what what do you want it to say. So it's pretty cool. Pretty cool how people have different processes. Yeah, absolutely. To come to that. Yeah. So yeah. Um, I've heard different artists talk about how they wrote songs in 15 minutes. I think the, the one, the famous one, Freddie Mercury writing Crazy Little Thing in the bath in 15 minutes. I heard uh, Neil Finn talk about writing Better Be Home Soon. He said most of that just came out in the same thing in about 15 minutes. Have you ever had an experience like that where it's just completely downloaded to you in one hit? No. Uh. <laughs> <laughs> No. <laughs> I have no divine intervention with with music. It doesn't it does Teresa is like that and Phil is like that. Like mm. Teresa will wake up and just write the whole song out. First thing in the morning and and it's there. It's it's sort of landed overnight and and she's prolific like that. And Phil is also like that. They can just work through it and feel it and it just evolves whereas I have to sit at my, I have to sit with the song at, um, for hours and go over it and change a word and then swap um, phrases around. And you no, know, it's, I've, I literally have, if I want to get a song finished, I have to sit and do it for, for hours. Yeah, I'm sure that's part of the process for many musicians that it can take quite a long time. And sometimes the inspiration starts and then they don't finish it for many years many years later i think this is a conversation we should have again though down the track because i think like helping you to actually get more of that guidance through would be really cool so uh let's do that you mentioned antarctica yes i was blown away when you were telling me this story so i'd like to hear for anyone everyone else's benefit what what had you at that point where you were like, actually need to start pushing the boundaries here and do something a bit different? And, yeah. and then maybe then after that, we'll get into more of what that experience was like. Sure, sure. So there was, it, it was actually came in a time of, of my life a number of years ago where I had, I had to face a massive challenge and, um, and that was around not having kids. Um, and you know, don't know if you want to get into that, uh, but you know, I point. <laughs> I come to the point where it wasn't, it, you know, kids were not not having a family was not on the on the cards. So that was a big, what's the word for it? Um, readjustment, big readjustment to who you are. What's your pur- You know, what's your meaning of life? What's your purpose on this planet? And um, so with that massive turning point in life, um, I went, right, okay, start start doing some stuff that, you know, is a, a rare opportunity and makes you, you know, a great auntie and an interesting friend and an adventurer and a deep thinker and 
someone who goes and sees and experiences. So um, I met with some friends on Christmas Day and maybe it was a couple of glasses of champagne that gave me the chutzpah to, to do it, but yeah. I agreed to, you know, it was, it was Christmas and I agreed to jump on the March ship that sailed from um, South America to Antarctica. And it was actually um, a voyage to raise money for breast cancer research and cancer research with through um, Love Your Sister. Um, yeah, so it was a good cause. It was a rare opportunity. It was with some wonderful people. And I just said, i got to go and do stuff that's interesting. And, yes, I'll do it. Wow. Can um need to go tell your neighbour that, uh, that he's been a bit rude doing, doing the soaring while we're um, having a chat or whatever that background noise is. <laughs> <laughs> the dog has actually gone with the dog walker. I don't know if you noticed he just jumped off. But um, right. um, sorry, it's the, the reality it's of lockdown. It's all happening, mate. Yeah, it's all good, all good. So that must have been a. I know you've just kind of moved through it really quickly, but that must have been because, as you described, like it's well from what what I'm getting, it sounds like you had placed a lot of well that was the next thing in my life and then to find out that that's not going to happen that must have been extremely confronting and yeah yeah traumatic, I guess. yeah it was really confronting and it took a lot of um a little work just to like reset yourself as a as a person to go this is this is who i am this is you know and there's no guarantees around anything so just keep going and 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 the, the feeling was go for it. Go for everything. Go for everything else. Just be brave. Yeah, so I went to Antarctica. <laughs> yep, that's brave. Uh, thank you, Mark. He says, love your mindset, Sarah, always moving forward through all that life deals. You're spot on, Mark. Thanks so, so much. Antarctica, you described it. Yes, it needed massive amounts of courage, but also there was times where you got so caught up in the moment that it wasn't about courage. It was more just following your almost a leap of faith and then realising later, well, that actually was quite dangerous what we were doing. So maybe I'd love you to share a couple of those experiences that you share with me. Yeah, yeah. There's um, there's a realisation when you get there and it does t take your mind away from your your life and your troubles and your worries and the and the, the the things that you think about at home because the landscape is so wild and so vastly different from anything you experience and all your senses are on overload that it does just take you away and there's a feeling of real vulnerability when you're on the ice and and there's there's so much power in the environment there that you think gosh I'm really very vulnerable here and um, to share with you the example um, you get off the ship a couple of times a day and you go out on little zodiacs and zodiacs are a big black rubber dinghy um, and there might be 10 of us in the in the rubber dinghy and we were out where were we I, th I think we were scooting around a shipwreck so there's this massive prehistoric looking ancient rusty ship just um, like um, throwing itself out of the water. It was so dramatic and we're scooting around that and we're looking at the icebergs and 
we saw a leopard seal under the water and it went down and then it came over. We could see it coming over to our zodiac. So just, oh, this is so stupid. Don't do um, our, our natural propulsion, because it was so fascinating, was to look over the boat, to stand up and look over at it. Because the leopard seals are the big mothers, like their heads are gigantic. And they've got teeth like knives. And we could, water was so clear, it's so pure there, we could see it coming up out of the water and it just came vertically up towards us. So we were, and as it came up, it opened its jaws and opened its mouth. So we were looking down into its jaws and the fur, like the closer it came, the further we leaned over the boat to get a good look at it. We literally looked down its throat as it came up and then bit the side of the Zodiac. And, and it was so incredible. Lucky it, did, it sort of gave it a gummy bite, not a real bite and puncture. It didn't puncture it. It was so exhilarating that I couldn't hear all the expedition leaders screaming at us sit down, sit down. We were like, <gasps> and then once we did sit down, we went, oh, yeah, that was really dangerous. <laughs> that was really dangerous because if it had even bumped the boat, we would have just popped, we would have just tipped straight into its open jaws. Gonza. So it goes, oh, oh, my God. <laughs> Your heart's pounding and... You're just following your instinct and look, looking at responding to the world around you and, man, you really need the people next to you on those days, those moments. Yeah. That's a, such a great metaphor for living though, right? Like if, if we just follow our instincts and just go with those moments, even if they're like scary or we look back at them, then we have moments that just you can't describe it to anyone else because it's like nothing else and you know, we all have had those moments. We talked about one when we were traveling together many years ago when we're walking through a dark alleyway in the middle of the night to some lady's uh, hostel, uh, just thinking, are we going to survive tonight or what? But that's cool because it's a great story and what a magic moment. Yeah. Well, that, that's, I, I like the correlation you made because it's true also that in those moments you, you are vulnerable and you do realize that you rely on the people around you because um, you were totally going to save us that night. You know that, don't you? <laughs> that, was, that was our plan. That's all right. Ian will save us if anything yeah. goes. Not a good plan. <laughs> <laughs> I think yeah. he's the fastest runner out of the three of us. So yeah. So we would yeah. be <laughs> I would right. never, never, Sarah. Right. Um, but, yeah, like I, I think that having those moments, that's what living is. So it's, and you have a moment which you also described where you said the captain waking up in was it the early hours and and pulled you up on deck. Yeah. So the first morning that we were actually in Antarctica, we crossed the Drake Passage, which is where the oceans collide. And you actually spend days, I think it was two nights and three days where there's nothing. You are just sailing towards you can't see anything you're sailing towards antarctica you can't see anything it's really rough and then overnight we must have arrived into you know the waters of antarctica and we got this call over the the tannoy um uh and they would say good morning antarcticans and you just hear this little voice and 
it basically said, get up and get on the deck. And we got out onto the onto the um, the bridge and onto the deck to look at the environment, and everything in our worlds had changed in that second. Like the sky didn't look the same color blue as as you used to. The ocean was this electric blue. We were surrounded by beautiful icebergs. Where it's just classic. You could see you see the white ice, but also you can see because the water's so clear. You can see it disappearing into the ocean, which is just magnificent. And there was one classically rolling, and you're like, what? And the best thing was we were surrounded by humpback whales. The, the ship was surrounded and they were coming right alongside the ship and they were looking up and it was so incredible that, and the sensory overload, I just burst into tears it, it felt like the, it wasn't a decision I made, like, but it was the only response I could have, like, to the magnificence. You just sort of go, <sighs> and tears just in, like, cartoon style exploded from my eyes. It is wonderful. Yeah. That sort of stuff is your, your view of the world and your, your role in it. Yeah, and you described that so well. That literally took my breath away and then I got the tingles all through when you were describing that. Um, magic, thank you for sharing that. So, yeah, you can't, you can't comprehend it until you've gone and done something like that. You've, yeah. um, As is usually the case, I've now had to add a, a half a dozen things to my bucket list of what I need to do. Um, yeah. Wow, where do we go from there? The, the tears that you experience, I think it's probably a good, good opportunity for me to mention something, and I will quote someone else on this one. There's a guy I listened to uh, a fair bit. He's like a modern-day philosopher, Jason Silver, and he, he talks about crying, and he says, we don't cry because we're sad. We cry because something was more magnificent than when we could have ever possibly imagined. And when you look at crying like that, it can be so much more healing and whether you're crying over a traumatic moment or something deep, it's still the release of whatever you've been holding on to, which is the, the part that's so, yeah, euphoric. When you are experiencing that for something that is such a positive experience, that euphoria must go to a whole other level. Yeah. Yeah, oh, that's well, like so well said. That's so true. And um, that, wor- that word you just said of release, like we've all felt that when you feel like you need to cry and then you, you have a big cry and that feeling of release, yeah. you know, maybe because I was at such a turning point in life that that might have been that awesome moment where just stuff whew, sailed away in the ocean with the whales. Who knows? But, yeah, yeah. yeah pretty powerful, that sort of stuff. And. I, I, in that moment, I couldn't not have cried, and I couldn't have held it back, and I could have, I couldn't have pretended. I had a big red face. <laughs> yeah, it was messy crying, but it felt great. Yeah. So good. We talked before, a little while, just actually before we jumped on, and talking about this idea of for people like you and I in the coaching space, how much we project excellence and and like i know for some people that like can come across as almost perfection but we're also talking about when you work in this space you actually have more of these challenges than than most because you're not only dealing with other people's stuff but you're dealing with your own stuff and i can remember having a a massive 
oh, a few months last year. Last year was a real particularly challenging year for me in a whole lot of different areas. There's so much good in it as well. But I can remember one particular day just literally in the fetal position crying on the lounge room floor, just how did I get to this point? And but yeah. what you described is so true. It's like it's so it's such a release of all of that. And you, then you can move forward. So the reason I mentioned that is because I, I wanted to then let's move into more of the other work that you do, which is executive coaching. And what an honor for you to be able to help someone in a who's really stuck in a business perspective, like you described, everything else about their life outwardly looks amazing, yeah. but they are having this massive challenge, often a challenge of self that they can't move by. Mm. And when you're able to guide someone through that, and, and help them feel that euphoria, that really has a massive impact on you too, right? Oh, yeah, big time, big time. Um, I think you're right about, you know, you, we're just all trying to practice what we preach. And sometimes I am teaching something in a conference or a workshop or even a coaching session, um, and, I, and, and it's, all, it's, a, it's constantly a lesson for me too. I go, yeah, I forgot about that. <laughs> Um, and yeah, it is. It, I, I do find that job a, um, an honour to be able to do it because you know my my role is to um, teach interpersonal communication and leadership skills. So that's outside of someone's technical mastery. You might be an engineer, or you might be a banker, or whatever you do. But when people are talking to people, at some point for all of us, it gets tricky. And then when you're just out of ideas yourself. I, think, I, I, I can't think of anything else to possibly try to make this work or to break through or to um, communicate it in a more effective or, or um, a clear way. And then, you know, to, to seek out help is wise. I think the people that just bundle along hoping that it gets better it will always be a bit possibly more of a challenge. So, when I do have people come to a conference or a workshop or an individual coaching session looking for, you know, how do I put this? How do I start that difficult conversation in a way that doesn't turn into a fight? <laughs> what do I do? So I, I help people look at the behaviours to make conversations more effective. Um, you know, there's nothing perfect about it, but if we can just edge it more towards being more effective, then we'll take that win. Yeah. yeah. I've been that person bumbling along and not really knowing what I'm doing and where I'm going. I spent way too many years in that place. And I think from my own experience, it's only when you sort of hit real dark moments that you suddenly start asking the right questions. So you described it in your experience from a, from a dark moment and something that it was a massive setback. You found a new way of looking at the world. So when you came back, from that trip to Antarctica, what impact did that have on your on your business, on your singing, on your life as a whole? What what changed when you came back from that trip? Oh, huge change, huge change. It, um, you know, being somewhere so um, wild and so different, it was almost like um, uh, it was a real head clearer, <laughs> for want of a better term. It really clears your head of all the stuff that you often think about on a daily basis because you've got all the reminders around you. You know, you yeah. turn, you 
open your laptop and there they are. You walk past the bank and there they are. You see friends and there they are. There's always triggers going, oh, I've, I've got to manage that or work through that or, or just protect that or do that. Or it's, and when all those are gone, you think quite, quite differently. It also felt like a massive achievement. So go, I went to the I went to the ends of the earth on my own. Like I didn't have, I didn't know what I was doing. I really didn't know what I was doing. <laughs> anyway, um, so it felt like a big achievement. And then coming back, I, I, um, I felt very positive about the world and, and I, I found a love for the planet that I hadn't, um, hadn't felt before. Like I just was in love with the planet and the world and, and nature and, um, you know, and people, and I just felt a bit more sparkly towards the world. Yeah. yeah, yeah, yeah. And hopefully, like you said, you you were. Hopefully, you're still having that uh, love for the world now, right? Absolutely, absolutely. Yeah. yeah, yeah. That's why last year I went to the Arctic. I went north just to balance it out. <laughs> north, north and south. It felt right. I felt like I had to. <laughs> <laughs> So there was a bunch of Antarcticans. We went north just to make sure we had top and bottom covered. Yeah. Oh, so the same crew. There was, I think, there was about fifteen or twenty of us that were off the Antarctican ship and went to the Arctic. Yeah, yeah. Pretty cool. So good. So, so suddenly, yeah. complete strangers become your people. That's so good. Um, my mum's chimed in there. Thanks, mum. Uh, salt water, hills, be it tears, ocean, or perspiration. Oh, hundred percent. That I'm using that quote. I might steal it as my own though, Mum. Um, yeah, the ocean. Yeah. Oh wow. And I hadn't thought about perspiration, but yeah, when you're working hard and you're uh, and you're uh, getting that that physical workout, that absolutely does heal. Yeah. Wise woman. Wise woman. Yeah. There's something about diving into the ocean, isn't there? Where you get your head under that water and you come up just a little bit, a little bit different, a little bit healed. Oh, Mum's saying it's not her idea. You should just oh. let us keep believing, keep believing that, Mum. Well, you're wise to remember it and bring it back. You've got how? You got uh, a half an hour to come up with another Hawkins quote, <laughs> Mr. Z. <Zaitch. laughs> Have a think. You can do it. I've I faith yeah. in you. <laughs> nice coaching, sir. Man, I had a question I was going to go to now, but it's completely gone. It's completely broken my train of thought. So, oh, okay, here we go. When you are coaching, how would you help people to see the world in a different way? So you've gone through these experiences. So you are helping someone who has, is very work-driven, mostly I imagine, and they've got so much success in those areas and they're often having trouble with um, how they're expressing themselves, which I'm sure is in a business perspective, but it's quite possibly in other areas of their life as well. Yeah, for sure, for sure. Yeah, you find a lot of people in, in workshops saying, oh, I can use this at home. Like, okay. <laughs> communication is communication. Um, how do I help them see a different world? It's, it's, it's just through questioning. And as a coach, you almost, you, you're just guiding the line of questioning so they can make their own discoveries. Um, if you go in as a coach and you know this um, with lots of statements, you should do this. The answer is this. You should try that and don't do that. Forget about it. 
no one's listening. No one wants to be told that stuff. And the, the, there's no recovery there. It, so it doesn't it doesn't um, it doesn't mean anything on a on a on the most important level. So I think a good coach is a good question asker. And that's yeah. That's, yeah. And and the fun part is you don't know those questions before you go in. You just listen and and sort of steer to help them make those discoveries themselves. Oh, I love that. I think I might have some ideas for your songwriting because when when you are steering it, uh-huh. you are that's when you're doing your channeling, right? Because that's what I do the same thing. So people ask me before this, oh, so can you shoot me the questions? And I'm like, well, I don't know what the questions will be because they'll just come to me as we go. It's just a conversation. But where does that guidance come from, right? Like whatever yeah. you believe around our, where, where our intuition comes from, you're doing the same with the coaching. So maybe some songwriting with some Q&A elements mm-hmm. yes that's a very good idea mm, you- let the answers come <laughs> you writing the song you writing the i'm writing the song no. <laughs> no, you're you're writing i'm gonna write right now <laughs> yeah absolutely what's your favorite part of you being able to express yourself so whether that's coaching music friendships, family, or all of the above, what, what is it that really gets you coming alive? Uh, that's easy to answer, and that is the connection. So, the you know, whether it's on a stage with a band or in a recording studio putting music out there, it, when it connects, um, that's just, that again brings tears to my eyes. Um, you know, if you have someone that says, you know, wow, that song, that song summed up what I was feeling and I didn't even know it. Um, that's just the bomb. That is the best. Um, and in the coaching world and in the facilitation world, same thing, like same answer. When when an idea or a theory really connects with someone and they didn't know, they hadn't heard of it before and the concept or the tool or the theory solves a problem for them and they they take it on board and it really connects with them and they means and they're going to use it that is also just a great that is awesome you think great all i did was share that with you you take it you make it your own now and if it helps life be better awesome yeah yeah I don't know if you experienced this in early days of coaching, but for me, when when people come back to you and they're like, oh, I found out this, that, and the other, and then the ego is saying, yeah, but I did that for you. I helped you do that. Whereas that's the whole point of coaching is not so that they can realise that you helped them, but so they can realise themselves that they did it. That's the goal, right? Isn't that great? That's so good. And, yeah, when you you re-meet, people that you've worked with over the years and and they recall something that was in the workshop or in the conference or something they discovered anything you and you're still thinking about it that's wonderful it must have really been important for them yeah so yeah good. So, yeah, yeah I think the the, the, part, the part that really helped for me was when you take ego out of it and realize that the guidance that's coming is coming from wherever it comes from the intuition the, the you know from source God whatever you want to believe that intuition is it's not coming from you anyway. Like what's like, like who knows what's going on in our brain, right? It's just uh, it's just such a beautiful experience to share that and and being able to help people create connections. So 
if you're helping people with their expression and communication, no matter in what area, do you get clients come back to you and talk about how that has helped other areas of their life? So you say they 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 actually realise they can use that expression, uh, use that um that that skill or tool or process in their personal life. Have they given you feedback on that? Yeah, for sure. Um, in a in a coaching session, sometimes the easiest way to try out a new technique or behavior is with people you love um, and who you can say to them I'm I'm trying a thing I'm trying to <laughs> it's a thing I'm learning and I am giving it a go um, and they forgive you for it or they allow you to do it so often some people um, make their action plans based on you know, their husband or wife or their kids or their friends or their soccer club or their kids' soccer club. And you think, great, try it out there. And they know those people know you so well that um, they, they might be the ones to ask for feedback or they might give you feedback or they might just notice, you know, you're clearer today or it was... Um, it, it was a stronger message and that's what we've been looking for or it was a softer message and that's what we were looking for or it was easier to understand and that's what we were looking for, whatever. Um, so, yeah, it's, it's um, often something that people use in their personal life because it might be the easiest place to try it uh, rather than going straight to their boss's boss. Just wait, hang on a second. Let's just get a few wins. Yeah. And often what's the case is that uh, you don't even necessarily have to take any different action that you're thinking. You show up in a different way automatically and you get a different reaction out of someone than you've ever got before. And that's yeah. where you have that moment of, oh, wow, that's pretty cool. Like yeah. something shifted here. I remember uh, a friend of mine who she'd recalled something that I told her around boundaries and shifting from the, a boundary of electric fence that people were shocked by to one of, of white light, which actually some are drawn to and others won't be. And um, she got her husband to shift his thinking to to say, I think for starters, I'll just turn off the electrified fence. So it was just him to be able to, to make a small shift without her doing anything except um, sharing something that she'd learned and it's been, and she's told me what's unfolded since then. And um, yeah. yeah, so it's so powerful when we change ourselves, what will then show up in our life without us having to control or tell other people what to do or try and change them. Right on. Yeah. I love that idea of um, if you just do something yourself and you're trying it yourself, like that beautiful imagery of changing the electric fence to a white light, that's gorgeous. And I, I love that when it, it, it changes, the change is for the better. There are better connections, there's easier, easier communication, we understand each other more effectively and all that stuff. People don't notice what you're doing differently. They just notice that it's better. Yeah. So I, I think that often gives people comfort to try. They, think they won't notice that you're using a technique or you're doing a thing or you're thinking yeah. differently. There's a new fence. <laughs> they just notice that was easier and it's always been difficult. Now it's easy. So I don't know what you did, but I like it. <laughs> <laughs> and, and sometimes that conversation is playing out subconsciously and, and it's like, like they may not have that realisation until down the track to suddenly realise, oh, well, we, we seem to be getting on 
much better now. Like, yeah. That's pretty cool. Yeah, that's um, it. More good feedback from, from uh, Mark. He said, nailed it, Sarah. Connection is completely the key, whether it's the community, people, the environment, or even a song or book. Connection keeps us going. Helping people connect is key to happiness. Oh, magic, Mark. I love that, mate. And um, um, what I would add is the key to connection is uh, connecting to self first, right? Right on. Yeah. Yeah. And, yeah, that's something that you find, don't you? It's not an age thing. You just find, you might find it young, you might find, you might never find it, but there is that um, connection to self first. And when that happens, man, every, everything, every other connection is different. Yeah. And I think it just goes on through your life. It's perhaps only later when you go through changes that you can identify how it has been. And we talked about that um was it yesterday or the day before when when we were like having a catch-up is that you talked about one of the things that you've that you your gift is is communication and helping people to express themselves so can we touch on your own experience when you were younger around challenges around that area and, ha and how that's really helped you to be able to guide other people in that space now yeah yeah i think um yeah so we were talking about when when did good communication become important? Um, and I think, I think you know, just for me as a kid, you don't know what, well, for anyone as a kid, you don't know what you don't know. So yeah. you're just constantly, you're growing, you're noticing things. And when you get to a certain point in your life, when you notice, oh, that's a good conversation, or that was an important conversation, or that one was really scary, and I'm glad I thought about it and had that conversation. And, you know, as a kid, you're protected from the difficult conversations in life and, and, and the hard, harder moments. And that's definitely my experience. You just you didn't need to have those conversations. But when you, you, when you grow up and you start, you're on your own and you start to observe the world, then you realise uh, there are difficult conversations out there and they're worth thinking about and they are worth having a having some skill to make them go as effectively as, you know, as possible because you can say anything to anyone but at what cost? You know, the cost might be severed connection or disappointment in yourself or um, opportunities get you get missed. But when you think I've got to, I've, it's important that I put this the right way so it goes as well as possible, then connections grow stronger and people appreciate that you, it, you know, that, you put the effort in for it to go okay and opportunities start to open up. So I think it was that that point probably in my early 20s where I went, communication is important and uh, something I want to work on and with. Yeah. Speaking of communication, someone ringing me right now. It's awkward. Oh, that's timely. <laughs> and the ringer off. <laughs> Oh, yeah, but it was vibrating. Anyway, um, yeah, so, at, I mean, clearly you've always been someone who's good at communicating and, and thinking about it now, you've always been someone who's good at asking questions. But for me, when I think you, I think, like, you've just been always good at entertaining. There's a classic photo from our travels where where you are laughing your head off and uh, and it's like, so that's how I remember you and even, like, you've put a bit of that into this conversation. So, so. When you're performing as a musician, 
like you you must entertain at the same time right you must be dropping jokes in and and like making fun of situations and and yourself i imagine at the same time 100% 100% you know sometimes i wish that the band was mic'd because what you hear is <laughs> often you can't repeat it but um there's often banter behind you that you just end up looking at the audience and laughing and thinking, I can't explain that. <laughs> um, there was a guy that I worked with for about 10, ten or so years with a big band, a big swing band, and, um, you know, we, work, we worked two, three nights a week singing together. We were both fronting the 10-piece band, two vocalists, and we had such a good rapport that um, you you know when you know someone so well and they look at you differently they they look at you with certain sort of look in their eyes and and it just breaks you and you want you want to kill yourself laughing it was constantly like that we were constantly I mean it's probably I don't know if people would have noticed it but it was always in jokes between us on stage and you think sorry there's this entertainment that's going you know from the band to the audience but there's also this banter that was going on between us and we had lots, lots of fun. Yeah, yeah, constantly laughing. I'm sure that photo is a, is a beautiful image. <laughs> it's, um, yeah, I'll have to send it to you. I think I'm pretty sure it's some um, might have been drinks spilling from someone and anyway, that I, I haven't, it's not like I've looked there in a long time, but it just, that's just one that came but, to my memory just then. When, when you're having that sort of experience when you're performing, like that just adds so much to the connection with the audience because you start having an amazing time and it doesn't matter what the interaction. And I'm thinking about like the, my favourite artists to watch, they are always doing that. They're having a great time and that's yeah. how you create more of that. Well, you must have played some unbelievably good music that night when or those nights when, when you're just in such a great mood because of the people you're playing with. Yeah, yeah. And I think, um, I think the audience sort of takes their their um, cue from what's happening on stage. So if if there's fun on stage, there's fun in the audience. If there's seriousness on stage, there's seriousness in the audience. So that atmosphere starts with, you know, what the audience is looking at. So, yeah, yeah, oh, who knows what the music was like. There's probably a few bung notes and made-up words. I've come in singing the wrong song a couple of times, but we just... We smooth. <laughs> we smooth over that. Yeah. <laughs> I think that's what, like, we need more of that in our life, right? Like, I when I first left Fox Sports, I spent a lot of time missing the laughter and and the entertainment because we had a good, really good group of of oh. of a team where we we'd just be you know making fun of each other and and just a lot of laugh. I mean, like tears. And it's taking me a while to get back to that point. And I think, you know, working on your own is a different challenge. But the more you can bring into that life, like how much better you feel when you just have a, a good belly laugh? Well, for me, it's tears. When I have a good tear laugh, it's um, yeah, it just adds so much. So we need to do more of that, not take ourselves so seriously, right? Totally, totally. And I think you can still have, you know, you can bring lightness into a serious conversation, just like we are, you know. There's lightness. Yeah. It um, fun for us and, you know, that's just more fun. That's great. Um, but it doesn't, serious conversations don't need to be sombre. You don't have to have that. Uh, 
there's moments for that, but there's but I think people often will sometimes miss the moments where it can be serious and there can be a lightness and still some humor and and um joy even though it's a serious conversation that's okay yeah i like yeah. that yeah, absolutely yeah. yeah i mean we've all laughed at inappropriate times in our lives and but it, sometimes that's just what's needed right to deal with what it is we can't um, right. <laughs> spend all that right. of you know what's in the air yeah yeah True. absolutely yeah. you mentioned about how or actually someone else did, I think. Oh, Mark talked about it before, how, you know, connection can come through music as well. Is there a particular song or songs for you that when you hear just still fill you with emotion and maybe describe some of that and why that is or, or maybe you don't even know, but I'd love to hear more about that. Yeah, um, there's a long list, yeah, definitely a long list. For me, music is like um, is like a photo album. So if I hear a song, it takes me right back to, um, you know, uni days or uh, to a certain year um, yep. or, yeah, or a certain feeling of insecurity or, or, or security or something. It's like, it is like a photo album. It takes me right back. Um, let me see. Let me see. Oh, what are the, the big ones? They're, I think... The most important songs that take me back are constantly changing, just depending on where am I at. And yeah. and I think that comes to mind most at the moment is um, a song that um, my fiance and I would sing all the time. And um, it we actually I actually recorded it as a surprise for our wow. wedding, um, which was supposed to be in April, but it's been postponed thanks to COVID. Um, yeah, and we, we recorded it as a surprise to be our first dance. So whenever I hear that song now, it just takes me to, to him. And whether it's in the car singing it or it's actually, you know, on what would have been our wedding day, having a dance to that song. So wow. that, that, that just transports me, that, that tune. Yeah. Fantastic. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Um, and I feel quite honoured that you sung at our wedding. And whenever I hear that song, I'm transported back to that moment as well, which is magic. So hurry up and get really famous so I can really, like, you know, leverage that. <laughs> maybe, maybe don't set your clock for this famous thing. <laughs> um, that was the cause song, wasn't it? It was, yeah. Runaway. Oh, Yeah. <laughs> So beautiful. I remember standing at the pulpit singing it. <laughs> I was very nervous. It was so important and I wanted to do such a good job and I really wasn't experienced. So it probably sounded pretty shaky, but that was an honour to sing that at your wedding. Oh, wow. Oh, wowie wow. Yeah. I don't remember you sounding nervous or it being anything but magic, so. Oh, you're very <laughs> kind. Yeah. What, uh, oh, okay, here's a good one. And this is a question I've heard from other people, but I found it's really impactful to ask other people. So if you had 15 minutes of a platform to speak to the whole world, ah. what, would you, what would you say? What? Um, <laughs> um, what would I say? What would I say? I, I, I would... I would, t I mean, 
what big world problem do you tackle? Um, the thing that um, jumps to mind, of course, the key word is love. Um, I think love and trust and vulnerability, something I'd, I'd craft a little message around that. Um, <laughs> yeah, yeah. Um, the, I think perhaps in my humble opinion, they could be the core things that make for a great planet, love each other, love the planet, um, uh, trust each other, you know, it's and vulnerability. It's all right not to know anything, just ask and find out and trust that people will do the right thing by you. Um, there's... The, the, I, I would have to talk very quickly to get everything I'd want to say into 15 minutes. It would be, be like, yeah, speed talk. I'd have to put me on double speed. Um, but I think they would be the, I think the main message would be around love, the big message, yeah. And no doubt laced with some humour. But if you had 15 minutes, surely you'd write some epic uh, nine-minute, ten-minute song, right, for most of it? It would be... No, I'd, I'd be doing away with the band. It would be me. It'd be telling it's like, yes, and it would be epic. It would be. It would start with, "Listen here, <laughs> <laughs> you lot of world." Yeah. Yeah. It, uh, yeah. If you had fifteen minutes, it would have to be epic. It could not be epic. Yeah, and there could be no no musical interludes or solos. Sorry. <laughs> yeah. We'll write a song about it later. Yeah, that sounds cool. Yeah. change the world yeah. it's, it's such a simple concept right all of those things love and trust but it's also just the simple answer because love takes us from fear takes us from sadness it takes us from or allows us to feel whatever sadness we need to feel it's just a, a yeah it's one of those great mysteries that of why we can't spend more time in that I think from what you've described and I know from my own path is that the more we can actually go through those challenges and and come out the other side, then a small part of that fear drops away and we find more love. We connect more to what's always been there, more love that's in our heart. So I think that's such a powerful message. And and when I think about it, I'm not sure what I would have talked about because no one's. it's not something I've thought deeply about even though I asked the question, but that that just sums everything up, right? There's only really two things ultimately you feel. They're all different versions. It's love or fear. So let's just choose that and and that's right. going to make a massive difference. Yeah, yeah. I don't think it's a, a complex concept. No. So you said that last bit again because I spoke over the top of you and it, and it blanked that, out. Go again. That's all right. I was saying it's not a, a complex concept but it's certainly not easy. Yeah. Well said. Yeah. Well said. Is there anything else, any other words of wisdom you'd love to leave us with? To <laughs> oh, yeah. Listen to here. To no. <laughs> share with the audience perhaps around how to navigate life going forward from here. We have had a, a global challenge we've had a whole lot of different things that have unfolded that none of us could have anticipated how do people navigate their life going forward in somewhat uncertain times for some and for others a certain knowing of what's 
what needs to be done next? Yeah, yeah, gosh, it's um a real turning point, isn't it, of the way that we live? And I think, I think maybe a couple of things that letting go of the concepts that will go back to normal, back to how it was. I don't, I don't think that's going to happen. So I think there's a letting go of that or a, a peace that we need to find with that, let, letting that go somehow. And, um, and I think every single one of us has, um, you know, a creative side to us. We've got to think, what am I going to do now? How am I going to, how am I going to work now? How am I going to make this happen now? And that, that, that um, draws on a, a level of creativity to think differently, to work out, the answer for all of us so perhaps it's about letting go and not not looking to go back uh looking forward and going got to engage the creativity and and work out what's it going to be what do i want to leave behind and what do i want to bring with me and what's it going to look like you you know think creatively now's the time for thinking differently and creatively i love that and so i'm getting from what you're saying is actually we all need to be that artist in our own way. Yeah, yeah. Everyone has that in within them. That yeah, yeah. we're well, that the artist of our our the the um. I'm quickly making an artistic metaphor here. You know, the the easel and the um the canvas is our own life. So get the paints out. Yeah. How's that? That's good. Easy. Get, get get cracking. Yeah. Or write a song or. Um, yeah, yeah. I, I, for, for our thing that we're going to write together, I'll probably let you sing. That's cool. Oh, I'd prefer just to play drums. <laughs> <laughs> nice. You're going to be hey. the doo-wop girl. Yeah, okay. <laughs> yeah, okay. Yep. Yeah, all of that. I'll put you mine. <laughs> Thank you so much, Sarah. I appreciate you spending this time chatting with me. I, uh, it was entertaining as I thought it would be, hopefully for other people too, but I've had a great time, so thank you. <laughs> Me too. Thank you. And um, sorry about the Joe Cocker um, cameo at the start <laughs> and the chainsaw that was. Yeah, thank you. Well. And thank you very much for having me. I really appreciate being asked to come on your show and being part of the series. So it's, um, it's a great honour to be here. So thank you. You're welcome, and um, we'll chat again very soon. Won't, like, won't leave it so long this time. That'd be great. Yeah, take care, everyone. See you guys. Oh, hang on. You, you're performing tonight, aren't you? <laughs> Thanks for bringing that up, but I got cancelled. Oh, no. <laughs> yeah. COVID restrictions. Yeah, they only, yeah. There were two bands booked, so one band got it. I'm going to be... I think the fourth Friday, the fourth of September, our own show. Yeah. Make sure you send that to me. I'll make sure I'm there. Um, right, you're welcome, Jeremy. And thank you for mentioning uh, for mentioning that. Love the profile pic, by the way. Uh, better leave it there. Thanks, Sarah. All right. See yeah. See ya. I hope you enjoyed this episode of the Grief Code podcast. Thank you so much for listening. Please share it with a friend or family member that you know would benefit from hearing it too. If you are truly ready to heal your unresolved or unknown grief, let's chat. Email me at info at ianhawkinscoaching.com. You can also stay connected with me by joining the Grief Code community at ianhawkinscoaching.com 
forward slash the grief code. And remember, so that I can help even more people to heal, please subscribe and leave a review on your favorite podcast platform.